0: Right, so we're still going through Corinthians, even with that beautiful gospel reading, we are still. Mm. We're going to stop for Lent and do our Lenten readings, so that we're ready for Easter when it comes, we feel like that, ah. as opposed to crashing into Easter from Corinthians, but we're still going through Corinthians. So let's have a little think. What have we done? What's been said? What's Paul doing? Oh, my sermon is here. Let's start by praying. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that in the midst of uh, broken computers and illness and what could feel like chaos, thank you that you are still Lord of all. Thank you, Father, that you are here. Thank you that you have helped us be here. We pray this morning that as we sit and look and explore, that you would speak to each of our hearts, that we would leave here slightly more like you. Amen. 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 So, 1 Corinthians 13, the, it's the wedding one, isn't it? Who here had it for their wedding if they've got married? No one. You looked at it, we looked at it, didn't quite get it to the... It's the one that always comes out of weddings, which means that when you try and preach on it, you go, ah, it's about... No, it's not. (laughs) So let's see, what's he said so far in the Corinthians? We've had, what have they said to him? Do you remember we were saying, 1 Corinthians, it's a reply to a question. It's a letter. They've asked him questions and he's heard from other people what they're like. And he's written a letter. So it's a reply to a question. So we can find out from reading the letter, what was the question? What were they like? What were they interested in? What do they want to know? So we found out so far that they are so devoted to Christ, they would consider divorcing their partners so that they could become more devoted that's what They want Paul to know. That's their question. Should I leave my wife or husband if I become a Christian? I'm so devoted, I don't want any distractions. And they've all said, we know we are free. It's common knowledge that we are free so we can eat everything. They're very spiritual people. They're devoted and they're spiritual. And they've also said, in, in I think it was 10, we thank you for your teachings. We always remember your teachings. So they are a thankful community. They're thankful, they're devoted, and they're spiritual. That's what they want us to know. Unfortunately for them, Paul has a friend amongst them who tells them that actually they're divided. And, and they have lawsuits out against each other. And, and they're not sharing. And they're getting drunk over communion. But... Even 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, 19, uh, he's very funny. And he says, oh, it's good that you have divisions. That way God knows who's right. <laughs> very sarcastic. They're, they're desperate to be okay. They're desperate to be right. They're desperate to be seen as the ones who, who are doing it properly. And then Paul goes on to talk about orderly worship. So this is how, when you worship... I know there's a lot going on, but try to do this, then this, then this. And when you worship, and you've all got a word from God, try to try do it one at a time. And, and make sure that if you're speaking in a language that everybody doesn't understand, try and make sure that you've got someone there. In fact, make sure you've got someone there who can interpret for you. Mm-hmm. Don't be announcing things unless everybody can understand. You are one body, because you are all important. They said they had divisions so, so that God would know who was right. Um... Everyone is important. Everyone has a gift. If the church is missing a gift, it's because someone's not stepping up. Everyone is important. And then before we get distracted in what's my gift, what's your gift, outcomes. 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, it's all for nothing. It's all absolutely pointless without love. It's all useless without love. Now, I've been reading a book called uh, um, (coughs) Culture Map. It's a a secular book. But it talks about how, in the world, people tell stories in different ways. and And we teach each other in different ways. So in England, we teach each other, when you're at school, you're given a problem to solve, and then you're taught the theory of how you solve the problem. So uh, you're given a circuit. Make the circuit work. Now draw it. Now why did the circuit work? In the Middle Eastern context, you're shown the whole plan of why it works first. Why does it work? Where does it work from? What's the theory? It's the same in apparently in Germany. You're told the why story, and then at the very end, you get to apply it. America is application first. No theory. And Germany is... Theory: Why does it work? Why does it work? And then a bit of application just to show you how it works. And Middle East is the same. So you've had this whole letter explaining, this is who are we in Christ? What does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to be church? Who are we as church? And it's beginning to warm up. Application, how does this apply? And here we have, how does it apply? What is it if we have nothing if we try everything but don't have this bit, it's nothing. Application is love. How do you apply all of this teaching? Love. What is this teaching without application? It's kind of, it's words. Love. And so here we are. This is worth nothing if we do not love. If we could speak all the languages off the earth, oh, that would be amazing right now. Mm-hmm. But if we don't love, It's just a noise. In fact, it's not just a noise, it's a horrible noise. It's a clanging symbol. It's not nice. If I understand everything in the whole wide world, and I know all of God, if I know all of God, can you imagine knowing all of God? But if I don't love, it's just nothing. I am, it says, I am nothing. Absolutely redundant. It's worth nothing without love. (coughs) And we can't do any better than loving. So if it's all worth nothing without love, if we just do nothing but love, if we do nothing but love each other, is that better than the prophecy and the tongues and the helping and the. Yes. Because if you just love, you have something. If you do everything else and have no love, you have nothing. So if you do nothing but love the socks of your fellow Christians, obviously you can't love without helping them. You can't love without speaking truth to them. But if you just love them, you have something. Our problem comes when we think we can do everything and and it won't cost us because we won't love them. And then we have a problem. So in their letter, they're saying we're devoted. We're even so devoted we would give up our loves. We are so spiritual. We are so thankful. And Paul is saying here, very, very kindly, you are nothing. What you've done is nothing if you do not love. And it's the same for St. James. What are we doing? Actually, we're moving into our community. We've got our toddler group, we've got English lessons, we've got chime chat, we've got prayer on the streets. We're learning each other's languages. Amazing. Who knew six months ago that Nandri meant thank you? Now, what does thank you in Tamil? Nandri, we just sang it about 15 times. (laughs) We know. We're learning each other's languages. We're sitting beside each other and letting each other be and letting each other worship. If we do not love each other, how much is it worth? Is it actually nothing? It's so scary because we put so much effort into it. But unless we love each other, it's not worth anything. It's for nothing. And God doesn't look at our achievements. He looks at our hearts. So, I want you to look at the person beside you, or no, not look. Chat with the person beside you. <laughs> uh, you can look at, I'm not getting into that. Chat with the person beside you. Who at church, if we're the body of Christ, which we are, then we have to love each other. So I want you to think, who do we find it, not who do we not love, Who do we find it difficult to love at St. James? Ooh, quite tricky. As a group, or what do we find difficult to love? And then therefore, how do we love them? How do we make that decision to love whatever it is that we find difficult to love in each other? Does that make sense? Either, what group, if you're into groups, do you find it difficult to love? Or what behaviour do you find it difficult to love? And what, how can you love it? How can you show love? How can you act lovingly towards it? Okay, have got two minutes. Go. Yeah. has to be done exactly this way. The to be done Okay, you got thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you've had two minutes. You've had two minutes. I love that it's good to chat, isn't it? So, what could we do more to show love? I'm not asking what you find irritating. (laughs) Because that could be awful. What could we do to show love? What kind of things do we do to show love? Smile at people, say hello, welcome. <laughs> Smiling at people saying hello, welcome. And that's saying, whatever I'm struggling with inside, I am going to welcome you and I'm going to show you that I'm in peace. Fantastic. Any other ideas? You Learn more about other people's culture. If we understand more, we'll probably accept better. Absolutely. You'll work out why they're doing that thing that's so weird and quite weird and go, oh, that's why, because everything has a reason, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. People take their shoes off for a reason, people bow for a reason, and rather than going, oh, they bowing again. <laughs> you just go, why, why, why are they bowing, what are they doing? And then you work out generally that you love why they're bowing, taking their shoes off. And then once you love it, you go, oh, well, that's not so irritating anymore. I might do a little vague nod. Mm-hmm. It's a, just, a, just because it's a way of loving them. So when you find out why people do things, is there anything else just keep going so you mm-hmm. smile at that's someone they don't smile back next week sure just do the <laughs> same thing did you know <laughs> apparently <laughs> uh, kelp where people have moved in and out of the of the country a lot they smile all the time think about american smile they're a young country they're only about well i don't know james can tell you how many years old it is but because they've had people going in and out all the time, they smile all the time. Yay, 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 yay. Other cultures, like Japan, for example, where they didn't, nobody went near Japan for so long, they don't smile as much because they don't need to. Mm-hmm. Of course you mean peace. Why wouldn't you? Isn't that weird? But smiling is a way of showing peace. Yay, we're happy together. And keep going. You're right. Keep going. Keep going. Because keep going. sometimes people don't believe they could be loved. And so if you say, yeah, you're welcome, they go, no, she's obviously joking. So if you smile again, they go, yeah, maybe she made a mistake smiling twice. You smile again, they go, what? And you smile again, and then they slowly, slowly get it. If you smile once and stop, no, they'll think they saw something they didn't see, that's fine. Obviously a mistake on your part, how irritating. So, you're right, keeping on going, keeping on smiling. Understanding their culture so you get why they're doing what they're doing it takes time actually it's really hurtful when you smile at someone and they don't smile back yeah mm-hmm. let's be honest it's really That's hurtful when you when you learn someone's culture and they don't take the time to learn yours mm-hmm. when they it feels like they're arrogant maybe like they don't need to but is that your responsibility no our responsibility is to love when we see Jesus' love, what do we see? What's the image that comes to mind? How big is Jesus' love? Where did Jesus' love take him? Yeah, to the cross. And so when we smile and someone doesn't smile back, and it hurt, it really hurts us. When we learn someone's culture and they walk <coughs> right over ours, mm-hmm. Jesus' love took him to the cross. That ultimate sacrifice, self-sacrifice. And every time we do something like that, we're not doing it on our own. We're doing a little bit of God work. Jesus did the whole thing. And every time we participate in his story of love, it hurts. But it's part of a bigger story, isn't it? And so actually, Paul says, it's, it hurts, but it's gain. but it hurts. Yeah. But it's good, but it hurts. And so when we love each other, We know we're loving each other when it hurts. Just that little bit. Just like Jesus. The next verses, verse 4 to 7, is a wonderful, beautiful description of love. Love is patient. Imagine Jesus on the cross. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Keeps no record of being wronged. Oh. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Ah, oh, it's just what we were saying. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And it endures through every circumstance. That is love. That's the plan. John, in his letter, 1 John 4, eight says... Oh, we need to read it. God is love. Not God is loving. God is sometimes loving. 4.8 says Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He just if. So how do we describe our God? God is patient and kind. God is not jealous or boastful or proud. God is not irritable. We don't irritate God. That's quite a move. <laughs> And he keeps no record of being wronged. God does not rejoice about injustice. God rejoices when the truth wins out. God never gives up. God is always faithful and always hopeful, and God endures through every circumstance. So, sometimes uh, we think maybe that God, if we're, he might not love us if we do such and such. Or we feel that we look past our lives and go, ah. And when we do that, we tend to be a bit less loving to ourselves. And when we're a bit less loving to ourselves, actually, we're a bit less loving to the people around us. So when we find ourselves being a bit irritable, we tend to look out. Ah, I get really irritated when people eat apples and crisps on trains the same, so I feel like it's, like it's not okay. It's just not okay to glare at a complete stranger when they're around to around. It's not okay. But I just, all my days, curry shops and a poppadon. Oh. I'm just, when they dip it in the turkey, I'm thinking, soak it, a bit longer. soak it a bit longer. I really, really, really struggle. I get very irritable, very ungracious. And I go, ah, they're eating poppadoms. Is it their fault? No, the poppadoms are provided because they are nice and crunchy. (laughs) The fault is in me. The fault is somewhere that I don't understand God's love for me enough. Because if I understood God's love for me enough, then I wouldn't be judging someone else. I would be loving them. If my whole being was filled with God and God is love, then I would feel nothing but love for Doritos. Or the people eating the Doritos. You understand? When you feel irritable or boastful or proud, and we go, ah, the first thing we tend to do is just pop out there and on someone else irritable because blah 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 blah. I'm actually I'm proud because I'm I'm i doing it better than now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm i a bit boastful because I, I did this and you, you didn't quite make it, did you, <laughs> darling? Mm-hmm. And we dress it up with words like sweetie and darling. But what we're showing the whole wide world is that we do not know the length and the breadth of God's <coughs> love for us. We have not known that God enjoys. He's not irritated. He's not boastful. He endures. He is alpha and omega. On New Testament reading, he's from the beginning, and he made it in love. And when we finished our irritated little lives, he will be still loving at the end. He's the omega. So whatever we think is not good, we can give to him, and he is big enough and old enough and strong enough and enduring enough that he can take our irritability and our stress. And when we say, God, I feel so irritated by that prawn cracker. I'm saying prawn cracker, I mean that person eating that prawn cracker. (laughs) Fill me with your love. Let me feel nothing but love for that person. Because then, then I will know more of your love and I will be more loving, I will be more like you and I'll be able to shine your light. At the moment, I'm shining it dimly. In fact, I'm shining it as long as you don't eat anything crunchy. (laughs) Now, it said, I don't know if any of you heard on Radio 2 a couple of weeks ago, Russell Brand, who was a little crazy and then went Alcoholics Anonymous, and now he's speaking faith language of his own about God and, and Jesus and that, I think he'd say. Mm-hmm. He had a conversation with Brian Cox, the great physicist who does all the planetary stuff. Now, Russell was talking faith with Brian and saying, so, what started the earth then? What started creation? And Russell went, well, I'm an atheist, but I believe something was there because there had to be something at the beginning. But I'm an atheist. But there was something at the beginning that was good and that made something work. Because you can't have a bang unless two things, bang. And there must be something to create the bang, or or the bits that made the bang. And no matter how far you go back, he said there has to be something that made something else. And Russell went, well, you're not an atheist then, are you? (laughs) You're agnostic (laughs) at best. So physicists go, there's a God who was there at the beginning, Alpha. And we know from the Bible that there will be a God at the end, same God, Omega we call him. And this Alpha and Omega who was there at the beginning, who came to be one of us in Jesus, our New Testament reading, who will come again at the end, finish all things, make everything new. This is our God, and this God is not someone who is irritable, disappointed, sucking his teeth. Let's read his description again. He is patient and kind. He's not jealous or boastful. He's not proud. He's not rude. He doesn't demand his own way. He doesn't demand his own way. He keeps no record of wrongs. He's not irritable. He doesn't rejoice when there's injustice, but he rejoices when truth wins out. And he never gives up on us and on the world. He never loses faith. He is always hopeful and he endures. He keeps going. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to think. What is your picture in your head of God? Has he changed as you've grown? Is your picture one where you meet prelegates? St. Peter lets you through? I don't really understand the theology of that. And God gets a big book out with all your list of wrongs and sees if you've totted up enough good. Is that what this Bible says? No, it's not. He keeps no record of wrongs. What's your God like? clock are on time, isn't that beautiful, so we're going to pray, that's where we leave it, I'm really happy, what's your image of God, let's pray, Father God, please make us more like you, thank you that you endure through what we think of you, you endure of what the world thinks of you. Pour into each of us your love, your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't need...